From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Today's edition of Handraise Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, Chase Parham will visit with Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter about a number of topics, including Ole Miss's trip to the College World Series, which begins on Saturday, 6 p.m. against Auburn. Talked about that all week. We'll continue to talk about that today. Uh, Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis joins as well. Uh, he and I talk about Ole Miss baseball, the College World Series. We switch to some NBA topics as well. So a uh, pretty good show planned for you here for the next hour and a half or so. Before we jump into that, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, same great uh, products, just different names, same people, same products, same service, just different names. If you live in Oxford or Tupelo and that surrounding area, get in touch with the people at Comer, 662-801-1777. If you're in Memphis, Hernando, Olive Branch, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern, 662-429-4429. It's obviously blazing hot outside. If you have an air conditioning issue, you want great service from people who know what they're doing and who will do it quickly, and that's Comer, and that is Southern. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. That's the number to call. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. Keith Carter, Jeffrey Wright. All other guests join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline, Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to grab a burger, a po' boy, appetizers, great beer selection, full bar. They'll have the TVs on, College World Series, uh, NBA Finals, uh, NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, you got a lot going on. Get out of the heat, enjoy a cold beer and an appetizer, and spend some time at Rafters. Also, Rafters in New Albany. And don't forget about Rafters on the Water out at Sardis. If you're in uh, Oxford, didn't make the trip to Omaha, and you're getting set for a, um, you know, a party on Saturday for the College World Series, um, suggest going by LB's, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, LB's Meat Market. They got all the freshest cuts. Whatever you're looking for, they've got it. Whether it's beef or pork or chicken, seafood, uh, house-made sausages. Uh, stuffed jalapeno poppers, all of that stuff there at LB's. You won't regret it. Tell Greg and the people at LB's that you heard about them here on Hand Raised Guys, and we'll usually throw a little something extra in your bag there at LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, right across the street from Kroger. So without further ado, Chase Parham visited with Keith Carter on uh, Wednesday, the Ole Miss Athletics Director. Had an interesting conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is. Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter now joining us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Keith, uh, for a good bit of Saturday and Sunday, you and I were hanging out in the same location. You uh, you were going to be a little hot in the stands. It was pretty warm down there all over uh, Hattiesburg. 
you were in the press box, you were in the radio booth. And I'm going to be honest, I walked over your shoulder on Sunday. You looked a little nervous. You were kind of jumping around. You were fidgeting. I heard at one point you're you're you having to you know take your shoes off. You 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 had a weekend. Um, as I told you, tougher to watch than play, right? Oh yeah, I mean not even close. You know I've played in Rupp Arena and mm-hmm. done, played in a lot of big places, and it was it was never as agonizing as uh, you know some of those games some of those games over the weekend. But you know it's one of those where you just you invest so much time into it, and obviously the coaches and the players and the administration and and you get to that point and man we we've knocked on the door so many times and just haven't been able to quite get there um we just all wanted it so bad you know and uh man kudos to the players and the coaches they they went down there and you know not only won but just you know really played great baseball in all phases um left no doubt you know that we deserve to be in omaha and so uh but yeah i was uh I did feel bad. Um, I did go out and visit a few of the fans and donors before game two for about 10 minutes. And I started sweating so bad. I was like, okay, back in the AC, let's go. But uh, I'll say this, you know, for the rebel faithful that sat in those metal bleachers and 97 degree heat and humidity, uh, man, thank you. Just thank you. It was awesome. And uh, I know we all wanted to be there, but um, I I did find my little nook in the back of the radio booth and and, and the the media room up there, which uh, gave us a little bit of, of cool air. Did you calm down prior to Ilko catching the ball? Was it when Mallets got out of the eight? When did you when, when did you allow yourself to go? Okay, we're probably all right here. Well, I wanted five runs. You know, okay. uh, we were up three zero for so long, and then I guess we get the the fourth run, and then finally we got the fifth run, and I said, hey, we're at least out of the grand slam zone here. You know, um, and so I thought once we got that fifth run, and like you said, Mallets got out of that that jam. I guess there in the eighth. Um, you know, we went down to the field at that point, and, and it, it felt really good at, at that point. But, you know, again, just a ton of credit to to our team for for battling and not giving up when they could have this year. And um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, too, is just, you know, what a great job by Jeremy McLean and, and everybody at Southern Miss. Um, you know, they did a great job hosting the, the Super Regional, very hospitable. Um, you know, the fans were, were great. Um, Scott Berry, class act. Uh, I, I went over and found him after the game and just told him how much I respected him and, and the program that he runs. And, you know, really, if you think about it, it's 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 pretty unfortunate the last two years that, you know, we we had to eliminate them or they were going to have to eliminate us because two great baseball teams. And, and really, um, you know, last year they probably deserved a host. And, and this year, you know, they could have easily gone to Omaha too. So uh, just a, a great job hosting and, and a great season for Southern Miss. So over the course, and, and you're exactly right. Scott Berry's one of those guys who deserves to go to the College World Series before he's done. You you you, you hope he finds a way uh, the, to to there at some point. You know, it, it's obviously been a crazy season. You're from a decision standpoint, you're obviously going to wait to the end of every year, no matter what the sport is. You're just kind of watching, but you're a pretty hands-on guy. But you want to be careful and let people coach their programs. What do you sort of do, like when they're you know seven and fourteen? I mean, do you, do you wonder or sometimes if you need to give some words of encouragement. You need to be around. They want you to stay away from them. Are you taking notes on things that can help and hurt? What is sort of your mentality, whether it's going great or going poorly over the course of that? What is kind of your role as an athletics director? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, it's an encourager. You know, I mean, I, I'm never going to be the AD that's going to, you know, walk in the clubhouse after the game or the locker room after the game and blow a coach up for a decision or this or that or whatever. I mean, they're, they're around their team every day. They they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm never going to be that guy. So to me, I, I try to take a role of just, hey, 
you know, great win or great series or, you know, hey, tough series, let's let's keep going and, you know, whatever, tough game. And so I try to do that. But, you know, this this was an interesting year because, you know, all the the, the, the great baseball we played early, you get to number one, everybody's feeling good. You got Tennessee coming in and we're riding high. And then, you know, that next month was about as bad as you can get, you know, just for a lot of reasons. You lose Kevin, you're trying to figure out pitching, you're trying to, you know, all those things. And I'm, I'm not blaming anybody, but it just didn't go well. And, you know, I, I give a ton of credit to Coach B and Coach Clem and Laugh and Cleary, all those guys for, you know, keeping our team focused and, and our, our seniors too. I mean, Elko mm-hmm. and Graham and, and Bench and Brandon Johnson, you know, all those guys, Chofi, that, you know, they've, they've been there before. They, they have the experience. They have that respect in the clubhouse. And, and just all of those parts put together, um, man, they fought through it, got through some really tough times. And, you know, you get to that Arkansas series where you don't win the series, but really you could have swept that series. You know, you played pretty good baseball. And, and from there on, just, man, play great. And, you know, we've said it a million times, you want to be hot at the right time. And there's been some years where we've been hot and then couldn't get there this time of year. And, you know, this year it, it flipped and, and we got to Omaha. So just couldn't be more happy. Four SEC teams in, it's going to be, you know, it's one thing. I mean, Mike talked about the logistical challenges of 36 hours, but when you're playing Auburn first, the, the scouting is much limited. You're not as worried about video and that kind of stuff. You can kind of focus on a lot of the other stuff prior to, to getting to the Tigers. Did you go over there for that series in March? I didn't. I, I watched it, obviously, and then I watched, you know, kind of their run. One of my best pals is the AD there, Alan Green. Sure. So, um, you know, I was texting with him during their series. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know the analytics and all that stuff, but I know don't pitch to Sonny Deshera, right? Just don't don't pitch to him. I saw a stat in one of their games where he was two for two and the rest of the team was one for 27. So, uh-huh. you know, even an old dumb basketball guy can say, hey, we're going we're gonna to put him on first, you know. So, um, but, yeah, it, it's so cool. I mean, you – People talk about the SEC this year and, hey, didn't have the front front line arms or whatever it is. The SEC is a little bit down. What well, we get out of SEC play and get in the tournament and just dominate. You know, it just shows you how good our league is. And then if you throw in Texas and Oklahoma, who will be there in a couple of years, uh, you know, you're looking at almost, you know, six out of the eight that are SEC teams. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy all this. But certainly when we, you know, first pitch Saturday night, we'll be ready to compete against Auburn. You said you're not a hands-on AD. You mean like on a Sunday, you know, walk into Lane's office and go, "Hey, if you try a little more cover too, and you do a little more of this and that, and it'll <laughs> it'll it'll fix all of it." That's not that's not the move. I'd love to see that reaction, right? Uh, probably just slam the door in my face, you know. Uh, but no, I, I do like to to be. I am hands-on, but I just sure. I'm never going to get in their business from a standpoint of technical or you know who you recruit or you know those type mm-hmm. of things. I I'm, I want to know that the programs are healthy. I want to know that, you know, thing that they, they, the resources that they need are there and all those things. But, and like you said, if, if things aren't going well and we've given them the resources and it's just not working out, then at some point, maybe you have to make a tough decision. But, um, you know, we're going to support these coaches and players, you know, as much as we possibly can. You alluded to it. You mentioned Texas, Oklahoma. Obviously, that was a, a good bit of talk in, in Destin. You were there a few weeks ago for SEC meetings. And we get the seating chart for the head coaches. We get all this stuff. It's all over the internet and awful social media. And I, I, I get you're in with the ads, but what are these rooms actually like? I mean, y'all are basically just sitting around a table listening and, and maybe having an opinion here or there. But I mean, in general, what is sort of the the atmosphere of these? I would assume a little more long and boring than most people. It's all like press boxes. Everybody goes, "Hey, I'd love to be in a press box covering the game." I'm like, "We don't talk to each other. We're all completely boring, and we're staring at our computer screens. It, it, it's not what you think it is." Yeah, I almost got in trouble a couple of times this past weekend in the in the press box because I forget where I am and I want to cheer, yeah. so I had to muffle that a little bit. But 
Um, yeah, you know, the, the AD rooms and, and we do, you know, four or five times a year, we get together as ADs mm-hmm. and, and, you know, very cordial, uh, very professional. Um, we have great conversations. I, I respect every person in that room, um, you know, and, and I hope they feel the same. So we, we, we accomplish a lot, solve a lot of problems. You know, when these coaches get together, it's, it's less frequent. And obviously, you know, they're, they have some opinions on things are a little more public with, with the things they say. And so uh, we were all kind of anticipating some fireworks down in Destin and there really weren't many, you know, I mean, it was just kind of, they got in the room and I know they talked a lot about NIL. I think, I think the commissioner talked to the coaches about kind of that situation and what we should and what we shouldn't do and, and those type of things in the media. Um, so I think they got it all figured out. And, and from everything I saw, you know, th- there are times in between meetings when you're having lunch, or you're doing different things where, you know, coaches are sitting at tables together and doing those type of things. And I, I sure didn't notice any contentious, you know, nature of anything. And so I, I think sometimes we forget that these coaches are in these high profile and high intensity situations all the time. They're, they're liable to, you know, bless out an assistant coach. And then two minutes later, they're singing the same tune, you know, they're, they're used to this volatility and all that. And so, um, you know, it got obviously pushed out in the media and all that, but I think, you know, once it's all said and done, they're going to push forward and play football and, and keep going. It felt like a little anticlimactic. I know you guys moved toward a lot of decisions, but it didn't really feel like a lot got concrete wise done. I mean, what, what was, when, when you left, what did you feel like was accomplished or not accomplished? What's on the horizon? What were, what are the two or three takeaways from, from that week? Well, I took away that I sat in a conference room for about four, you know, 35 hours in Destin and uh, didn't get sunburned. That was good. But yeah, I, I, I agree. We, we didn't get a ton accomplished from, from, from the heavy hitting items. Uh, we got a, we got a lot done behind the scenes. Um, you know, everybody wants to know the football schedule, but guess what? We had to do all the schedules for all the other teams too, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that happened. Some of those were a lot easier and obviously less high profile and, and those type of things. But um, you know, people wanted to know the football schedule. They wanted to know, uh, you know, can we come out of this with an NIL solution? You know, there's just a lot of things that are that are kind of heavy right now. Um, but we did make a lot of progress on the scheduling. I, I think we're closer. Uh, we're getting toward the finish line. And I think we have uh, meetings in Asheville in, in August. Uh, and I would think that probably by then we're going to be getting really close. You don't need to give anything away necessarily. I won't put you on that kind of spot. But do you guys do straw polls and things? I mean, do you gauge where everybody's at in case you are at a place for a decision? Yeah, we do. We do. And, and again, I think that's that's the great part of our room is that, you know, a lot of times somebody will just will be having a discussion and somebody say, hey, let's just do a straw poll. Let's see where everybody is. And, um, you know, for us at Ole Miss, and I, I was talking with another um, reporter this morning that asked me about the eight versus nine. And, you know, for us right now, we're, we're kind of an eight game schedule. You know, I think for us, where we are with the program, that would be where we vote. Um, but again, I know that there's a lot of upside to going to nine, too. And I would be shocked if at some point we don't go to nine. Um, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of things there with uh, season tickets and better games on the schedule and, and those type of things. And I think for long term, you know, nine makes a lot of sense. But uh, right now, if we had to vote, we're probably sitting in the, in the eight boat. You know, it feels like when the expansion goes from the playoff standpoint, it goes to 12. To me, that's when nine definitely becomes more palatable because I almost feel like and correct me if I'm wrong. I understand every coach more than an AD or anybody else is worried about that extra win or you know, it being nine versus eight or 10 versus nine. But when you go to 12 playoff teams, isn't it almost more like the NFL system a little bit where who really cares if you win nine and seven or you're 10 and six or you're whatever you are, as long as you get in. And in some ways, I feel like once it goes to 12, it removes some of the steam 
in case there's that one fewer loss. We're so caught up in that in college football because you look back and you go, hey, what did Freeze do? What did Nutt do? What did Hoover do? You go, well, he won seven. He won eight. He won nine. But those can look completely different. Aren't we kind of due for a little bit of a, a mentality change on that? 100%. You know, and I, I think that once we do that, uh, once you get to 12, you know, you're going to be looking right now where the, the SEC, obviously we've gotten at least one in. This year we got two in. I think a couple of years we've gotten two in. But it, I, we're going to have four or five teams in the – in in the playoff. I mean, it's going to happen every single year because it's going to be that strong, especially when you add a Texas and an Oklahoma. So um, I think you're going to see, you know, nine and 10 win teams likely in the playoff at times. And so I think that's where, again, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have to change the mentality. Um, I think one of the things that's, that's interesting about changing the schedules now, like if you just went cold Turkey and said, we're going to nine games, um, there's a lot of unwinding to do with games that are already on our schedules, you know, where there's buyouts, there's things that we have to work through. So, you know, is there some model where you could say, okay, we're going to stick with this for a few more years. Let, let these games be played so that he, you know, you can work through these buyouts or, or not have to pay them. And then at some point we go to nine in the future, but, uh, and, and honestly, that probably would correlate with when the playoff would change, you know? So, um, I, I think, yeah, I think we've gotten down the road. I think there's a lot of smart people in that room that are, that are thinking about it. And uh, we're going to come up with a really good solution. So it was a question on our website earlier today, and it, it led into a podcast topic. We're recording this on, on Wednesday for anybody who's confused by the day here. And I went through this quickly. I could be wrong. Uh, other than men's basketball, which I get a huge sport and that needs to, to get better. You would agree with that in a lot of things. Otherwise, I think every sport made the NCAA tournament this, this, this academic year. I've been covering Ole Miss for, I guess, 17 years now. And I don't recall that in the past. Uh, I don't recall that level of kind of across the board. There's lots of reason for this. You and I talked about it. I mean, that's an SEC network thing all the way through. There's plenty of things. But when you step back and look at that, I, I know you've got a, a major one that, that needs to, to move, and you would rather that not be the anomaly. But at the same time, is there some departmental help and some nice things you take from that that it looks like everybody's in pretty good standing or at least on, a, uh, on an upward trajectory? Well, you missed one, if I'm not mistaken. Women's tennis didn't. Oh, didn't I make forgot it. that. Okay, that's Women's right. I, I did forget make, that, and that's that's not. The I norm. gave Mark a big benefit of the doubt. He's usually yeah, in, so I exactly. just went ahead and kind of skip past. Normally, that. you just you just check that box. They're in, yeah. but uh, and they'll get back there for sure. But you know, to your question, I, I I think so. You know, I think we're in a good spot. You know, I think we're we we got off to a great start in the fall. You know, all of our teams did really well there. Um, when we finished the fall segment uh, of the Learfield Cup rankings, we were ranked number 11 in the country, which, you know, we finished 22 last year, and that's the highest we've ever been ranked. Got off to a little bit of a slow start in the spring, obviously, and you mentioned men's basketball didn't make it, which, you know, we, we, we know they're going to get back there too. But with the finish with baseball, with the finish with men's golf, you know, some of these things, it's going to, I think it's going to push us up there in the, in the 20s again, and, and who knows, we might even be able to, to break that, that 22. So, um, you know, and that's our goal, Chase. You know, we we want to we want football to be really good, and we're going to put a ton of resources into that. And we we know we have to because of the trickle down effect and how it affects our other sports. But we want all of our sports to be good, and we want them to to have the resources they need to be good and have great coaches and and all of that. But uh, it's fun. It's fun when everybody's doing well in the postseason, and uh, you know, it makes you makes you feel good about what you do every day. It's also worth mentioning if I'm, I'm if I'm right here, the Learfield thing is a total point. So because you guys don't play a ton of sports, there's kind of a cap on how how high you beat anyway, right? Well, so I'm not I'm going to mess this up a little bit, but they okay. they count like the top 20 sports you have, okay, or 18 sports that you have. I don't know. So if you're a we're having to basically use every sport we have, and so if you're a Stanford and you have 36 sports, or Texas and you have 34 sports, you just pick your top 20 out of 34 and, and go with it. So 
Um, it, there is a disadvantage there, but, you know, it means that we were very efficient last year. Not only did we get in, we made runs, we made deep runs. Obviously, you win a national championship in women's golf. That's a lot of points, and so that helps. And so we're hoping baseball will get us one this year and get us a lot of points. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool when you can, you know, we'll never win that. We'll probably never be number one. But if you, can, you could ever get up in that top 15 or so, that would be a, a huge, huge accomplishment for Ole Miss. So you guys put out the release a few uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, about the stadium expansion being paused for plenty of reasons. I mean, everybody looks around to economy and and bonds and different things from a pretty smart from a fiscal standpoint. But what is sort of the, the is it just an indefinite wait? I mean, obviously the Manning Center is being completed; it's on schedule for next summer. Where are sort of the other projects that are inside this this plan? And then when do what is sort of the time period where you would revisit when to move forward with the stadium? Yeah, I think first with the stadium, um, I don't think we really have gotten that far along. We just knew that, hey, the right thing to do at this moment was to press pause. Um, we had some great partners, our architect, HOK out of Kansas City are awesome. We look forward to picking right back up with them. We had a, an owner's rep named Chris Nations with Nations Group out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Fantastic. Obviously, our facilities planning department with Ian Banner and Virginia Pence, they've been really, really good. The chancellor, the CEO, everybody's been awesome through this process, but it was it was a decision we needed to make. And again, I, we're going to revisit that. You know, we we uh, we got some time on that. I, I don't think it's a 12 month thing. It's probably 24 months or later before we would pick that up again. Um, but what's what's good is we are continuing with the Manning Center. We're continuing with softball. Softball is right on schedule. We had some really good planning meetings on that last week. That's going to be a really great project. Uh, soccer, golf and baseballs. So all of the other projects that we had in the Champions Now campaign, we're going to push forward on. Uh, we're just going to pull that stadium out because of the volume and just the, the overall, you know, monetary amount involved in that one and, and bonding it out over 25 years. It just didn't make a lot of sense to push forward at the moment. This combines a couple of those topics, that one. And then we were sp- speaking about SEC meetings. Where do you see NIL moving? I mean, was there any was there anything where you saw a roadmap to what that becomes? I mean, would, are, are we any closer today than we were six weeks ago? No, I don't think we're yeah. a bit closer. Um you know, we were at the Rebel Road Trip in Tupelo last night, and somebody asked a question about NIL, and myself, Coach Kiffin, Coach Davis, and Coach Yo were up on the panel, and they all handed me the microphone. So I had to talk about it, you know, about NIL in front of everybody. So, um, you know, I think at some point we will have a national guideline. We'll have we'll have an umbrella that we all have to work under and, and have some guardrails so that we're all kind of have the same playing field. Um, I don't think that's happening in the next year, probably not in the next couple of years. Um, and the, the hard part about that is if you just wait for that, you fall behind. And so right now you kind of got this wild, wild west out there of, hey, can we do this? Should we do this? They're doing that. So we need to do that. But then you got enforcement sending out guidance from the NCAA every couple of weeks saying, hey, we're going to look into this. We're going to, you know, whatever. But you, you can't you got to you got to be somewhat creative and proactive in it, because if you wait until this national standard, you're going to look up and have missed two or three recruiting classes, you know, and you, you can't do that. So we're going to try to be as aggressive as we can to stay within the rules. But uh, I think we've got a big a big roller coaster ride ahead with NIL. So you don't have like juice hanging out in your office or anything today. I mean, this dog is becoming somewhat of an official mascot. Keith. Yeah, it is. Um Coach Kiffin loves loves juice and, um, you know, we'll, uh, continuing to get legs for sure. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where juice ends up in the in the pecking order of Ole Miss greats when this thing's all said and done. 
He's incredibly well behaved, it appears, though, at least. Like you're not dealing with some wild maniac of a, of, of a canine, at least. Well, not to not to put a plug in, but he did get the dog from Wild Rose. He and did. so they, he they did. do a pretty darn good job. You know, they they sell them all around the world. So uh probably pretty pretty good bloodlines and, and pretty well trained. So you're headed out on Saturday, almost playing Auburn six o'clock uh on Saturday night. What's uh what's the are you coming back on Sunday? You stay in and stayed up the whole time back and forth, you're gonna get a steak. What's the what's the what's the plan? Yeah, we're packing a big bag, um, taking the whole family, and we're gonna we're gonna hang out in Omaha. We're going to Omaha Prime on Friday night. Uh, gonna start it off right, and um, you know, for us, it's it's one of those deals. And and if you're in administration, you know, your family, uh, they're just as much a part of it as as we are. You know, they they mm-hmm. they think about it all the time. They hear about it on social media. They all this. So we're gonna go up there and enjoy the heck out of this, and and hopefully make a big run. You know, there was a funny story in 2014. Uh, and I don't remember which donor was telling me, but we, we'd been up there about a week, you know, I guess we won two and lost two, if I remember right. Right. And so we'd been up there about a week and somebody was coming down through the hotel to find the fitness center or something. And they went by the, the laundry area and Ross was in there doing his laundry. And they're like, Ross, what are you doing? He's like, I, mean, I had to do some laundry, man. I've been up here for, for seven days and have any clothes to wear. So I may be down in the, in the laundry room doing laundry about day seven. All right. Well, safe trip. I appreciate the time. And let's, uh, let's talk after a couple of weeks or up there. Awesome. Thanks, Chase. That was uh, Chase Parham, Keith Carter, kind enough to uh, give us some time this week <clears throat> before he heads out to uh, to Omaha. Again, the College World Series gets started on uh, Friday. We've got uh, Texas A&M and Oklahoma, Texas and Notre Dame. That's the uh, first day of games. Then Saturday's slate is a 1 p.m. game between Stanford and Arkansas, and then a 6 p.m. game, obviously, between Ole Miss and Auburn. I will be here for a post-game show after the um, Auburn game on Saturday. I'll take your calls. Chase will call in. We'll talk about the game a little bit. We'll see how that goes, how long it lasts, all that stuff. Anyway, uh, more college baseball talk coming up now. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 FM in ESPN in Memphis. Uh, He and I visited uh, last evening for quite some time. We talked some college baseball. We talked – some NBA, the NBA Finals game six tonight in Boston. Golden State can win the championship. Boston can force a seventh game. We talked about that. We talked about the future of the Memphis Grizzlies. Then we talked about the NBA draft, which is one week from tonight. All eyes on Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Boncaro, Jaden Ivey, and those guys. A lot of NBA draft uh, talk at the tail end of this. I know people get angry when we talk NBA. So all the NBA is at the end. Didn't intersperse it before that. So when you hear me ask about NBA Finals, you'll know that's NBA talk the rest of the way. It's a little bit of college stuff at the very, very end. But uh, first bit of this is about uh, college baseball, about Ole Miss. Uh, Jeffrey's brother pitched at Ole Miss with uh, under Mike Bianco. So we talked about what uh, what this means and that kind of thing. So here's Jeffrey Wright and myself on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. My very good friend, Jeffrey Wright, kind enough to uh, join us here today on Hand Raised Guys. Jeffrey, how are you? Neil, it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, I guess I'm done serving my suspension, right? Isn't that, didn't we, uh, I think the message board said that we had a falling out. And you and I, I did? Like, yeah, I was like, that's news to me. Um, that's news to I me still as well. talk to him. <laughs> I mean, we don't talk as much as we do during football season. I was like, I still talk to him multiple times a week. So I was like, ah, uh, that, that. And I, I guess I 
that maybe Chase is an imposter on one of the group chats that, that I'm on with him. So maybe maybe that's his burner number. Could be. Yeah. Well, good good to have you off the suspension that I didn't know you were on. Me either. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to get to some stuff. I mean, I've been I've been itching to talk NBA draft with someone uh, who is is also knowledgeable about the NBA draft because I have listened to so many NBA draft podcasts that it just all runs together. But we're gonna get to some other stuff first. I, I, I know you've you've been around the Ole Miss baseball program. You had a brother in it. Um, just your thoughts on on Mike Bianco and Ole Miss getting through the tournament the way that they have, getting to Omaha and, and silencing all of the very legitimate at the time talk about Mike's job status. So lots of uh, lots of thoughts come to mind. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, I remember the day Mike was hired. Um, John Schaefer, I believe, was the AD at the time. And, you know, they sold Mike on the vision that, you know, and they, they, they had to do it quietly, but the vision of, I don't know if you can win a national championship in football here. I don't know if you can win a national championship in basketball here and here being Ole Miss. I do think he win a national championship in baseball here. And while they've never done it, they've been close. I mean, you know, if Zach Cozart's ball in 2005 carries another three feet, that's a grand slam. They beat Texas. I think they probably they would have as good of a shot as anyone. They're winning a national champion. I know everyone likes to do the, well, you lost to the national champion in the Super Regional. I mean, there's matchups. You know what I mean? Like, who knows how, how it goes. But that team, certainly, when you went and looked in the, the MLB draft, they, they certainly had players. Um, you know, and then obviously, the you know, as, you, as you've pointed out, the Virginia series in 2014, you know, whoever won that, I think it was a Thursday night game. I think, I think we were at Buffalo Wild Wings watching it. Yeah, and then we did. Yeah. I think we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, and then you and I would do like a little wrap up podcast. Yep. yep. You know, I don't want to say that. You know, yet again, just another example of you, you know, innovating the game. But the the post game analysis was was all you're doing as long as I could record it. Um, <laughs> so, and now I've learned how to record it myself. I'm not only that, you've added video. I mean, you, I think you've actually surpassed me now, like in technological advances. Uh, I could just I, get I, rid of the bots, man. I'm, I'm, I'm cruising. Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen, porn's always going to be there. You know what I mean? Like what there's do? one thing about it in, in a business where, uh, <laughs> your product now goes out for free. You've got to advertise. So, you know, you got to advertise any and everywhere. So the, yep. they're getting, they're getting the game out there, but you know, that, you know, it felt like whoever won that first game was certainly going to win the bracket and then get to and then get to the championship series. And, you know, you look at the last two super regionals, you go to Arkansas and yeah, you lose game one. You came back and you win game two. And that was and- an Arkansas team that uh, everybody gets hung up on. It. I get it. That Arkansas team was really good. And that was an Arkansas team that, that the, the ball is in the air to go win the championship. If they catch the foul ball, they win the championship in two games. Yeah. And so that, my point is, is not about Arkansas. My point is that you lost a super regional on the road against a team that was absolutely capable of winning the national championship. Yeah. And, and you know, that's another example of a super regional. You, you lose to a title team, you know, one of the super regionals, you go out to Arizona state and, you know, that field was, uh, you know, that was like one of the true home field advantages. That field was like a brick 
and you go up against the team that was just like knocking the ball into the ground and bouncing it up and you know you, you get beat there i think the one that they absolutely kicked themselves over and they should have one they should have won i know everyone points to virginia yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, hey, they, yeah, same, you know, the same situation we're talking about with Arkansas. There was a, a ball in play that, that could have essentially put Ole Miss, you know, yeah, in the driver's seat to go to Omaha yet again. But, you know, the Miami in 06, you had the better team. I mean, I know when you look back at the Miami team, some of the names weren't known at the time, but you had them at home. Like that, that was one you should have gotten. But the thing that's really stands out to me this year is, I think Mike somehow in the same season did one of his worst coaching jobs and then one of his best coaching jobs because, you know, one thing that I've always been critical of, and it's not really a big nitpick, but I do think, I think Mike has a tendency, particularly with his pitchers, he kind of, he decides what you are, and it takes a lot to, to for him to deviate. And, you know, Derek Diamond to me is no different than, like, Cody Satterwhite. Uh, you know, he has guys that he knows has good stuff, and he kind of falls in love with them, even though maybe the results show, hey, th- there's got to be a different role here. There, there's got to be something something here. But I give him credit, you know, maybe he was backed up to the wall and they had no choice and they had to change, change it up. But there are lots of coaches out there that aren't turning to kind of afterthought Juco guy to be your Friday night guy. Yeah. And then there's lots of coaches that aren't turning to 88 mile an hour left-handed, you know, 88 mile an hour fastball left-hander true freshman that's been playing high, you know, that was playing high school baseball. I don't know. Did they play sports in Mississippi last year? I don't. Yeah. So, you know, his a year ago, you know, he's he's pitching on Friday night at Lafayette or Oxford High. You know, I mean, that that took guts to, to turn to those guys. And I weirdly think one of the one of the interesting aspects of this year to me was because his set or because that fell apart. And he had to make adjustments. I oftentimes think Ole Miss pitching stabs in particular, I think they get worn down as the year goes on. And I think it's it's part of the reason why, you know, in the end, the postseason struggles. I know oftentimes everyone talks about they get tight. Well, I mean, everybody's tight in a tight baseball game. You know what I mean? I think the bigger problem is that the guys are worn down on the mound. And you look at it's high volume, it's high innings. And this year, because of him making adjustments and essentially shaking up the whole staff, I think he got to the postseason. And as y'all pointed out, they had a very had a very narrow path to victory. Super narrow. In, in the Miami Regional. I think it's probably also fair to say, having seen teams, I think all of them kind of had a narrow path. Sure. And it was going to be a matter of, like who who made more clutch plays who you know who got the clutch hit it was going to come down to who won that miami Ole miss game on on that saturday on that sunday it was supposed to be a saturday but got moved to sunday because of the weather whoever won that game was going to have a a real commanding 
advantage the rest of the way. And we saw, like in the end, we saw that, you know, the, what happened on Monday happened. But the thing that I think that's the most interesting about this year is let's take a look at the teams that made it from the SEC. It's Auburn, it's A&M, it's Arkansas, and it's Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss obviously was disappointing on the whole this year, you know, from in the regular season. Sure. You know, sure. they yeah. obviously fought back and, and they deserve to be where they are. But overall, their season was disappointing. But if you look at the teams that are there, it's kind of the teams that had to scratch and claw. And, and you know, they they dealt with the grind that it that was this season. And in a year in which you really only had maybe honestly nationally, you only had one great team. For sure. That's it. It really was a situation of getting the tournament. You know what I mean? Like he, because I, I trusted Ole Miss in the end because they did have experience. The, I didn't really think the moment was going to be too big for these guys. And I think you started to see it as time, as time went on. Like they just needed to have good, some good things happen to them, get some momentum, and honestly, get out of league play because I think the biggest thing about the league this year was it was like 10 teams that were all kind of the same. Like, yeah, you know what I mean, like I made the mistake, Jeffrey, of thinking it was it was a bunch of mediocre teams, and I was wrong, and I've admitted that I was wrong. It was a actually a bunch of good teams that weren't able to get great, and they just beat the hell out of each other, and and it, it kind of came down to kind of who was healthy and who was whatever, and like you'd watch, you know, like think about the teams that are still in it, right? You, you watched Auburn, and. Auburn couldn't quite get to that great level. Like you, you know, you're like, man, this is a weekend where they could get all three, and they'd only get one or two, and 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 uh, they just couldn't quite get there. But you'd watch them and you're like, but they're good. They 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 don't go away. A and M got hot and stayed hot and built and built. Arkansas, at one point, you know, it looked like they were on pace to win 20, 21 SEC games, and then they just got into a slog and they had some dead arms and. And and yet, you know, here they are. So I I don't know. I mean, I, and and look, Vanderbilt damn near got there, and and LSU damn near got to the super regional round. And it turns out the league I was wrong. I was bad wrong. The league was a lot better than I thought it was. But what it didn't have, it just didn't have. But that one team that every single weekend there was only one team the whole year that could just walk into your stadium and just kick your ass. With that, there much you having much you could do about it, and that was that was Tennessee and. You know, you see what happened with them. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's the unpredictability of sports. Well, it, so I want to kind of go back to, I don't necessarily think that you were wrong on the sense of mediocre teams. If the standard is what we've kind of come to know as college baseball. And I've watched SEC baseball for 20 something years. They just kind yeah. of looked mediocre. I kept waiting for teams to show this like bounce and this edge and, and, and they weren't like, like Arkansas wasn't as good this year as they were last year. LSU wasn't as good this year as it was last year. Vanderbilt took this, from a win-loss standpoint, this big step back, and yet you'd watch them and you're like, man, there's some real talent there. Like, I love the Bradfield kid. God, he's great. And 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 you kept waiting. Like, Florida, you kept going, man, there's just so much talent. They're going to take off. And they didn't. And Ole Miss, you would, like, 
hey, this team was number one in the country, and, and here yeah. they are, they're losing to South Carolina, and they're losing to Mississippi State, and, and, and they're losing these games, and at some point you go, you know, maybe they're not good. Maybe they're just mediocre. I mean, that, 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 I, don't, I was wrong, but it's not like one of those people like, oh, you were really wrong. I'm like, oh, come on. You need to do this for a living. You're going to miss stuff. I mean, they just – team well, think- other than Tennessee, nobody ever – nobody ever established itself as, no, no, we're here. We're dominant. Like Georgia had a little run where Georgia was good sure. for a while, and then they kind of fell off. The Cannon kid got hurt, and they kind of fell off. And, you know, the one thing I will say about the league that, that I think skewed it a little, Mississippi front, State lost a couple of starters. Frontline arms. It, yeah. To me, the biggest difference this year was frontline arms. Yeah, Arkansas lost Paulette. LSU lost a frontline starter. I mean, you, you see that happen. Derek Diamond's not himself. I mean, it's obvious that Derek's pitching through some form of an injury. And and so you see these things, and you're like, well, you know, that's part of it. And, and yet, you know, to, uh, it's a credit, like you said, it's a credit to Mike. It's a credit to uh, Butch Thompson. Schlossnagel's a terrific coach, obviously, the way he can establish a culture so quickly at Texas A&M. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is one of Dave Van Horn's best coaching jobs because that team was left for dead three or four weeks ago. Well, so this is kind of what's interesting to me. So Notre Dame, 16-11, and 11, ACC. Oklahoma, 15-9 and 9 in the Big 12. A&M, 19-11, like you said, they got hot, stayed hot. Texas, 14-10. and 10 in the Big 12. Yeah. Stanford did what the good teams in the Pac-12 was supposed to do. You got a feast on the bottom, 21 and 9. Arkansas 18 and 12, Ole Miss 14 and 16, Auburn 16 and 13. We're not talking about teams, you know, for the most part with these gaudy these gaudy records. And so what I found interesting about last week was I think there was something to be said for the teams that had to grind it out because in the end, and I know this was, this was something I think you had mentioned on maybe the, the post game show after the regional, I want to see what Tennessee gets like, you know, what they look like when they get tight. Yeah. And I thought there was a couple of interesting moments in that series. The first interesting moment was, was it Baker? Who was the kid that got tossed? on a strike one call at the knees. Gilbert. Gilbert. And he he throws his hissy fit, and then he had the big orange mafia coming out. It's like, <laughs> man, that was strike one. Yeah. You're, like, you're tight as a drum, and it showed. Like, and, yep. and, you know, I know we're not supposed to use the C word, and it doesn't rhyme with bunt. <laughs> But, Neil, six of those runs in game three came with two outs. Yeah. And, you know, I don't fault them for for leaving the starter in after, you know, after the single. But it's like after he gave up the homer, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you got to you got to go get him. And I thought they they approached the game like. They didn't treat it like it was do or die. And I think these teams that are still in it, it's been do or die for them for, for a long time. And it's what I love about Ole Miss's chances in this is they've been playing these do or die games since the first Missouri game. And furthermore, might be the healthiest they've been this yeah, year. Could be. Could and be. they've you know, they've they've added an extra at least one legitimate arm in the bullpen. And 
I think now they probably have more that they trust in the bullpen. And here they go. And, you know, I, you know, would I pick them to win it? I mean, is it Ole Miss versus the field? Okay, well, give me the field. Oh, sure. Like, who, who would you say is the unquestioned favorite? Because I've watched Stanford. Like, I don't sit there and go, that's not a team that Ole Miss. Yeah, Chase and I, Chase and I disagreed about that the other day. And look, he 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 knows a lot uh, of college baseball, obviously, but Stanford's good. They're really good, but like they haven't pitched it all that great here lately. And um, you know, it's a big park. Arkansas's a good defensive team. Arkansas's infield defense is elite. Um, I don't know. I here's what I expect. And now here's here's the one weird thing, and I know. I know you probably can't do it, and maybe this is the smartest guy in the room thing. But one thing I can tell you about West Coast baseball, every single team, I don't care if it's Pepperdine, I don't care if it's Stanford, I don't care if it's Oregon State, I don't care if it's Cal State Fullerton, every single one of these teams has at least two lefties that throw 88 and look just like Elliott. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would flirt with maybe tossing him against Auburn. <laughs> and then one thing that, you know, it's not a power arm with a slider, and maybe you throw Delusia against Stanford, but I also acknowledge that might be a little smartest man in the room. But yeah, I think you got to just, I think you got to, I think you got to dance with the girl that brought you. And, and, and then maybe, you know, what if Arkansas beats Stanford? I mean, that, you know, yeah. that's, that's a problem for, for another day. But I mean, you know what I was saying is I, I fully expect Ole Miss and Arkansas to both win on Saturday, and maybe they'll both lose, and I'm dead wrong. I, I expect them both to win, and whoever wins that game on Monday night, I love their chances to get to the final. And then on that other side, I, I mean, why everyone is counting out Texas A&M is beyond me. We've been doing this for a while now, and, and they just go win games. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma's hot, and they I like hot teams. In, in Omaha, and they're kind of, they're kind of there. You know, they've. They're, the only thing that concerns me about Oklahoma a little bit is, they feel very home run dependent. Yeah, and that's and, a hard place to go win on a bunch. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean. Like it, but it doesn't mean if it balls hard, you can't still get it in the gap. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like maybe that ball that goes out, like you know, it's a big park, and, and, it's and just, you can. There's just no one team. There's no one team because Tennessee's out. And once Tennessee got out, and even to some extent Oregon State got out, because Oregon State could have gotten into this thing with the one starter who could just go yes, take you. You know, like that that cat's good. And now that those teams are out, I mean, if you offered me any team versus the field, I would go field. Yeah, I, and I think that's fair. But at the same time, if you're Ole Miss, isn't that the type of College World Series you want to be in? Absolutely. Oh, it's, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better draw. Now, look, Ole Miss could lose to Auburn and turn around and lose to Arkansas or Stanford on Monday and be be out. No question. And the same could happen. Auburn could lose twice in a row. Arkansas could lose twice in a row. Stanford could lose twice in a row. There's no doubt about that. I mean, but, yeah, if you're Ole Miss, you look at this and you go, there's nothing in this that we can't handle. You can lose to those teams, and they've already lost to Auburn once this year. They've lost to Arkansas twice this year. They can lose to those teams, um, you know. But yeah, no, it's 
I think the other thing that's good draw as you could have asked for at the College World Series. I think the other thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, you've been around it now since 08. Is that right? Ole Miss, yeah. 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 I've been around it my entire life. Isn't it funny that, like, you and I, who in the end, like, yeah, we have connections, but it's not like you and I aren't sitting here living and dying. I mean, I got my wife who can't even watch when it was like 10 to nothing, like I didn't, it was 10 to nothing. And didn't Southern get a hit like in the eighth or the seventh or something. He's like, see, this is when they blow it. And I'm just like, uh, I quit watching in the eighth inning. I was like, sweetheart, like you, you and I are not watching the same thing, but you know, when I saw that draw in Miami and I go, I looked at her, I go, listen, I'm not getting your hopes up, but I go, oh, there's no reason. I go, there's no reason that they can't go and win that. And it's also really funny that both of us felt pretty good about Ole Miss going down to Hattiesburg. Oh, sure. They could have had a much worse draw. They could have gotten sent to Austin or or, or, Corvallis or or, um, Stillwater or a lot of places that would have been a much more difficult draw than than Coral Gables and then on their way to Southern Miss. And, and look, they, LSU could have won, and you would have had your hands full in Baton Rouge because it's well, I mean, a totally different thing. Like, to me, you and I saw it the same way. Like, in the end, how many guys does S, you know, how many guys does Southern, I don't know, what was the story on the Friday night guy? He, he has the two last names. Like, he should be, like, he should pitch for Georgia. Actually, yeah. he should play golf for Georgia. <laughs> but... I mean, how many guys on Southern's roster did Ole Miss, you know what I mean? Like, if they weren't, was, like they could have had. It's my thing. Who do you want to play in a, in a super regional, an SEC team or a Conference USA team? Well, like, Neil, I got, some, I got some knowledge for you. How many super regionals has Mike Bianco's Ole Miss program lost against non-Power 5 teams? Zero. How many super regionals have they won against Power 5 teams? Zero. Hmm. Yeah. But I'd rather have gone to Baton Rouge and tried to have won five out of six in Baton Rouge, or would I have rather gone in? I mean, there's oh. also something to be said, like you know, you go to the. I, I know, as a sports fan, you can't ever, you can't, you can't pick it like this because you don't know how the game's going to go. I still contend, as a sports fan, the single best feeling is going on the road and watching your team win, and then hearing just there's that unbelievable silence of when, you know what I mean, like you just rip their hearts out. That's amazing. Obviously, we don't know the results of the game before we go, so like that makes it difficult, but like that's a pretty awesome feeling in sports. Yeah, Chase was talking about how he had talked to Hunter Elliott going into the Super Regional, and people were asking about how you know Southern Miss, Pete Taylor Park was going to be so intimidating and stuff, and he was like, you know, he was trying to be respectful, but he's like, you know, come on. I mean, what? It, I, no, it's remember this Lafayette thing. Like, months, he was like, he was like, two months ago, I pitched in Fayetteville. I gave up a home run, and they're calling the Hogs, and I, I got, I got to get the ball back. And there's fourteen thousand people, or thirteen thousand, or whatever it is that they hold there. I mean, if that's not going to intimidate you, well, then Pete Taylor Park's not going to intimidate you either, because it, someone it, calls you a bad name. Who cares? Yeah, and like for the record. I thought it was a great environment. Like that, that outfield yeah. looked yeah. looked cool. I mean, yeah. it's always fun. I don't care how big the the stadium is. When you see shoulder to shoulder and not an empty seat, like that's a cool thing to see in sports. Like, 
it, it's amazing, but it just reminded me of when I was in college, Georgia went to play like Oklahoma State and all these Oklahoma State beat writers are asking Georgia, like, what's it going to be like to play in this environment at T Boone Pickens Stadium? Like, I don't know. Like, I've played at Neyland. There's 105,000 there. I've played at Alabama. There's 95,000 there. I've played at LSU. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, they don't play the swamp, you know, because that's games in Jacksonville, but it's like, right. uh, you know, imagine adding 30,000 more people. And, you know, uh, so, you know, to like the whole kind of big picture question right now, like about Mike and, and what it says, I think it's this, I think it's kind of a testament to his career mm-hmm. and that weirdly to me, and maybe it's because of how he, like how he played, you know, undersized catcher, you know, at an elite program, but you know, had to go to Juco first. He's just way better when he's fighting for his life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, when he's the underdog and he's chasing and I think that's interesting because it's kind of hard to be a good front runner and he's had really good teams. And, you know, one thing I know that you and I always talked about this, this idea that Ole Miss was going to upgrade. It's entirely possible. Sure. I mean, sure. To, to sit there and go that he's the only human being in this sport that can do this job. Like that to me seems illogical. But at the same time, as Tennessee, like, yeah, when when Delmonico was, you know, throwing fisticuffs with his players, like, yeah, he had to go. But Tennessee was in the wilderness for a really, really long time. Like, Georgia baseball was has been in the wilderness for a decently long time. I mean, you know, Alabama's problems are probably more institutional. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, at, at a time when their football program was bad and Jim Wells was a good coach, like, they, they kind of had it going, but... At the same time, everyone else started caring about it, and therefore the job got hard. But this idea that the, that the program was just going to sell itself is – I don't know how you can make that statement definitively. And I think in the end, I always thought that, you know, he's built this thing from the ground up. And, you know, it's not the, a perfect machine. It's a pretty good one, though. It's really good. I mean, you go back and look at the last seven years now. Go back to just 2014. And well, and the other funny thing is I feel like the conversation entering 14, and maybe I've got the years wrong, but I thought the conversation entering 14 was kind of the same thing. Like it was. It was kind of how you have to get there. And then Yeah. Did- and first off, Omaha bus is kind of a weird metric, but whatever. It is. Same th- the same, but the, the, the point still stands for me, like, back against the wall and that team was more consistent obviously but that team also had a more established pitching rotation i mean you know chris ellis would major league pitcher i'm pretty sure right i think chris pitched the majors uh and then you got the transfer from lsu's name escapes me a little left-handed uh trent trent yeah and christian trent and you know you had a, a pretty solid bullpen but so that team was a little more consistent throughout the year, but you know, if you look at from the time that they've turned to Delusia on Friday and they've turned to Elliott on Saturday, 
those teams look a lot alike. They really do. Both those teams, man, they swing it. And yeah, their their defense isn't perfect, but they've they've gotten, I think, I think bench back to third helps them. And they've started to figure out, you know, they, they've started to figure out a better outfield rotation. I mean, I, I don't see a Braxton Lee out there, but I mean, overall, I, I that team just those teams kind of really mirror each other a lot to me. Yeah, a lot of similarities. Um, any scenario where Boston comes back and wins the series against Golden State? Well, I mean, to me, like, it's pretty simple. Like, do they take care of the basketball? And, you know, we're looking at it. The thing that's, the thing that's frustrating to me, obviously, I'm, I'm bleeding green. You know, uh, lifelong Celtics fan. You know, bleed green and... The thing that's maddening about them is other than game two, I felt like their losses, they blew them. I did too. And, you know. Especially game four. God, it's just brutal to watch them give away. Just. Well, I mean, how do you go five minutes without? And for the record, like, Steph was incredible. Like, he was. He was. I've never seen 40 that felt like 80. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it. Because it wasn't just 43 points. It was 43 points and nobody else was scoring. And so, you know, there is that side of it. But, you know, you go the last five minutes and in the, you know, in the last five, I think they went one from eight from the field, one from seven for three, and they finished with three points. Like, and the other thing that's really maddening about them, it would be one thing to me if I thought, a lot of these turnovers were Golden State forcing, you know, making plays, active hands, whatnot. So many of these turnovers are just like them just, you know, tossing it up the floor to no one. Jalen Brown, how many times has Jalen Brown just like dribbled out of bounds? Like he kind of gets caught in a corner in a trap and he just dribbles it out of bounds. And you're sitting there going like, you know, these are just stupid turnovers. These are just completely unforced turnovers. It does feel like to me when Boston not even like plays its best, but just plays within itself, they're better. But the reason why Golden State's up three to two is that Golden State, I think, has, while I don't think they're as good, I think that they have found longer periods in which they've played better basketball. And it's simple with Boston. In their two wins, they basically turned it over 12 times. And more importantly, they got about eight more shots in, in those two games. Well, it's pretty easy. Like, okay, they're turning it over eight more times in the losses. Guess what? They get eight fewer shots. And more importantly, it's eight more shots for Golden State. Like, it's just wasted possession. So, you know, if you told me, they come back and win in game six and then it's on to game seven. I haven't seen anything from golden state that says like, Oh man, you like, you can't win there. Like we've already seen a Boston do it. The Grizzlies should have done it twice. Yep. Yep. But you know, they, they started throwing it around and the, and, and then they didn't have John Morant to close it out. Like that's, that's a big problem, but you know, there's a certain point in which Boston has played with fire. It feels like, in the Milwaukee series, in the Miami series, and now. And you just wonder, 
can you just give away games and then keep coming back and winning in seven? Like at a certain point, do you reach a series where that comes back to bite you? And I, I think the other thing that's a little concerning to me as a lifelong Celtics fan is that, you know, for the most part, I guess you can kind of make the argument game five, but they haven't played with the pressure on them. You know what I mean? Like game one, it's, it's house money and you steal game one game two became a free shot. And you know, their effort in the second half was whatever, but whatever you got the split. Sure. Game three, I guess you can kind of make an argument. Maybe the pressure was on them, but you know, this, it now officially, you know, you go at home and they, they, you need Jason Tatum to step up and be a star and you need Jason Tatum has to outplay Andrew Wiggins. I mean, that's as simple as that. He Tatum has to give you more than Wiggins is giving the Warriors or this thing's over. Let's take a break in the podcast to give a special thanks to the Clearwater Group, the primary sponsor of all your college World Series coverage here at rebelgrove.com. The Clearwater Group's been a, uh, a friend of the podcast of the website for a good bit of time for years now. Really appreciate their support to uh, get us to Omaha and cover Ole Miss in the College World Series. The Clearwater Group's a Mississippi-based public affairs firm focused on lobbying, communications, grassroots advocacy issues. They represent a wide range of national and state businesses and associations who are involved in healthcare, gaming, engineering, education, telecommunications, finance, and a number num- number of other industries. They have a proven track record of guiding successful client issues involving the legislature state agencies and local government entities so if your business has any issues or projects being considered by state officials partner with the clearwater group clearwatergroupm.ms to find out more from them really a special thanks for them podcast also brought to you by johnson hill creamery that's johnson hill creamery just off molly bar in oxford on white oak lane and they've got a cheese class coming up that's july 14th 6 to 7 30 it's located there at their shop it's a limited 12 people per class so take advantage of it go ahead Sign up now. It includes a uh, flour cheese press demo, a soprasada folding demo, three ways to style cheese, decorating with fruit and flowers, charcuterie board, building workshops, snacks, refreshments, even a dessert. You take your uh, creation home when you are ready for that. So space is limited. Go ahead. Give them a call. That's 662-419-9201 or cheese at johnstonhillcreamery.com. Podcast also brought to you by Prime Shrimp, primeshrimp.com. Use code MPW for $20 off your first order with Prime Shrimp. They have five great flavors. The uh, the Signature Blend is my favorite. They also have the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, a little spicier option. That's great in their current, uh, their new their two new latest ones. They've got the uh, garlic herb butter. You put it over pasta, veggies, rice, a great creation there for you. Also, Simply Shrimp, it's great for kids. If you have a little more of a discerning palate, you can season it yourself. It's uh, just the shrimp. Again, restaurant quality shrimp in under 10 minutes ships straight to your door. Use code MPW for $20 off your first order. Again, that's primeshrimp.com. Podcast also brought to you by Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Now you got all underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local, local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing, the float down option, and more. You can find Jason at 662 234 2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. And then the podcast is also brought to you by Northeast Spark. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, the Blaze, the 1 gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. I've got it at his home as well. So take advantage of Spark, your hometown team, bringing you world-class broadband. That's nespark.com, 662-238-3159. Well, and the funny thing about Wiggins is, 
you know, for all the talk about Draymond, oh my God. The guy that's really beating Boston at their own game right now is Wiggins. Wiggins is the guy that has been. Yeah, exactly. Wiggins has been the guy. I mean, how many times has Wiggins come up with like a tough rebound and a putback and you, you leave going, man, I, I, I thought that guy was kind of soft. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's been an animal and. As much as I hate to give them credit, give the Warriors credit. The Warriors are getting something out of him that nobody else could. And, you know, Clay is giving them enough. Yeah. You know, it's the ghost of Clay. And so far, Steph has been awesome in four or five games. And, you know, to me, it does also feel like Boston kind of goes as Robert Williams goes in terms of how he looks yeah like the two games they won i thought man he, he looks pretty good and then the other three games you feel like he's kind of limping around and you know I, I you know it's the risk of when you get the when you when you have that surgery and you do the shave and you don't do the repair and the meniscus tear like you know I, in and it's obviously been banged up at times but horford has looked inconsistent but, I mean, I guess really for me, I mean, I think you're right in the sense that I don't know if it's Tatum has to – I don't know if it's that Tatum has to play like a superstar, but Tatum and Brown both have to at least be good. And yeah, they got to be really good. And, you know, we just haven't seen it enough. But I don't know. It's a weird series. I, I'm just still left like – I have thought all series long Boston was better. But at the same time, like, hey, man, scoreboard. You mentioned Memphis. Obviously, the Grizzlies are close. How close? I don't know. Close. They're right there. They could have won that series, and had they won that series, maybe they're in the NBA Finals right now. What, what do you expect from the Grizzlies this offseason to try to get that last rung on the ladder? So they're in an interesting spot from this perspective. They have they have draft capital, but they don't have other than the Warriors unprotected pick in 24. They don't have a lot of like, oh, my God, like that's going to be like they have a lot of capital. But I mean, I don't expect them to be in the lottery very much the next few years. So the other complicating factor for them is, okay. They can make deals, but there's the emergence of Desmond Bain in particular. There's the thought of, well, maybe that was your third guy. And instead of having to go and get your third guy, maybe that's him. And so you've now created this situation in which, you know, Jazan, Jaron has proven, I mean, in the end, like, Jaron's going to be maddening to fans at times, but he, you know, the opportunity cost is too great. Like you're, you're committed to him. He's a championship caliber player. And now Bain has kind of entered into, into that core of, okay, they're not, they're not available. Yep. So that leaves you with Dylan Brooks on an expiring deal. Steven Adams on an expiring deal. I think Melton has two years left. Like it's kind of your your bit pieces, and then twenty two and twenty nine in the draft. There's not really 
there's not much you can do. I mean, I'm also in the boat of the Grizzlies have this weird reality that they are very good, very young, and most of their core is like within two years of contracts. So I kind of think what they would be best served doing, and it's just one man's opinion. Also, I should point out, I don't know all the deals that are out there. You know what I mean? Like what is or isn't out there. But I think there's something to be said. They should start working on trading draft picks for future draft picks, future first. And, you know, maybe pick off a team like Atlanta, maybe a team like Chicago. I I know Detroit is feeling excited about what they're building, but, you know, if Detroit wants to give me a future first that's lightly protected, I know one thing I'm willing to bet on, Detroit bring it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like that that seems to be a, a fairly safe bet. And so, therefore, when you know you're going to have to pay Ja, Jaron, presumably Bane at the minimum, you now have these first-rounders, possibly higher first-rounders, that you can kind of fill out the rest of your rotation with. Because one thing that always gets left out of the Golden State conversation in the beginning is that they got Steph on, what was it, four years, 48, because of the ankles? Yeah, that's, and that's what ultimately freed them up to be able to have the money to go get Durant. And the Grizzlies are just not going to be in that position. And so I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I know some people are talking about the Kings maybe making four available. The other problem that I see with the Grizzlies is the Grizzlies feel like the team that you might be able to get involved to set the price. And then I think other teams are going to be able to beat beat what they offer because I don't think the Grizzlies are going to offer Ja, Desmond, or Jaron. And then you have this weird reality of, you know, Tyus Jones is is a, you know, he's a free agent, but the sign and trade candidate. Or maybe, you know, do you throw more money at him to try and bring him back? Because I do think the backup point guard role has to be important for the Grizzlies because I'm not sure you can count on Ja, nor do I think you should maybe play Ja. You know, 75 games a year. I mean, in the There's end, a like... a couple of guys in the draft. Where are they, 21 and 29? Is that where Memphis is? Yeah, so the, the first There's thought Ty is... Ty Washington. There's Kennedy I like Chandler. Ty, but that's the other problem. I mean, I don't. I will believe it when I see it that they turn to their backup point guard as a rookie. Yeah. I, yeah. But you might and I mean, to me, the, have to. Yeah, I mean, again, like, the, hey, welcome to the welcome to the real world problems. Like, it is called... It's also one of those interesting things that, like, I think back to, you know, how many years I've spent like watching the draft and whatnot. And it's like now, you know, partially for my job, it's like we're spending more time. Like we do a segment on the, the radio show. It's a Grizzlies trade per day. And, it, it, you know, it's, that takes over more conversation than the draft because, you know, if you hit it 22 or 29, great. And the Grizzlies have had some late first round success. But. You know, like that's not really moving the needle, but the thing that you realize when we do this exercise is, man, there's not really a lot out there for them to do except be better than you were this year. And I actually think that it's possible. And the reason why I believe that it's possible in the end, I think Dylan Brooks's struggles and he's a, he's a lightning rod for the fans because he's such an inefficient score. He was hurt. I mean, he had a high ankle sprain the most of the season. He had a knee earlier. I think it's entirely reasonable to think he will be better next year if he's healthy. And so 
all of a sudden it's like, okay, if you could improve the Grizzlies, what would you do? Well, you got to improve the wing. I think that could be the improvement. But to me, the larger question is, is the NBA, is it going to resemble what we've seen the last couple of years where much like we've been talking about in college baseball, like there's, there's no death star team. There's, there's no, there's no team that you go, okay, they can't handle it. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I feel like we're always just one hissy fit away from someone putting together a super team. So let's talk about the draft a little bit because I'm curious. We talked about Memphis at 21 and 29. Obviously, the attention. A week 22 ago, and 29. Sorry. 22 and 29. The attention next week is going to be on the top of the draft, as it always sure. is. Orlando's number one. Oklahoma City's number two. Houston's third. Uh, Sacramento, which is the weirdest organization and maybe all of professional sports. They, they're, they're completely unpredictable. No one knows what the hell they're going to do. They're at four. Detroit's at five. I mean, there's, there's, and there's some players in this draft. I'm not convinced there's superstar players in this draft, but I think there are some really impactful players in this draft. And now there's this buzz that for about five weeks, it was, hey, Orlando is going to take uh, Jabari Smith. And now there's the betting lines on that have completely changed. It's, it's, it's probably Orlando's going to take Jabari Smith, but they might take Chet Holmgren. And then there's this talk about what Sacramento might do. Sacramento might trade out at four. There's rumors today that – a number of teams, the Thunder included, might try to trade up to four and 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 move pieces now to go get two impact players for their for their for their roster. I guess at, we'll start here. What do you think Orlando does at one? I think most times the obvious choice is ends up being the right choice. And one thing that's really also upset me about this draft. We got to get these basketball people out of the front office. Get me some football guys in the front office. This is, we have eight days until the draft, and I haven't heard one smoke signal. Like, I haven't heard one smoke screen. I need some guys to get up there and just start lying to media and start <laughs> saying, you know, who's really going to go number one? Ivy. And you know why? <laughs> point guard. Look at every guy that's changed, that every guy that's changed the franchise. It's been a point. Give me, give me something. Like, this is too boring. Like, yeah. Give me some smoke screen. Everyone's doing this thing about the Thunder trading up to get Jared Ivey. And for the record, I love Ivey, but where the hell does Ivey fit on a team that already has Josh Giddy and Shea Gilgis Alexander? I mean, you're going to have three primary ball handlers? I mean, I guess the argument would be if you think he's going to be a good player, take him. Sure. And then you can figure out, you know, you know, maybe you move him, maybe like I think that's the thing. It's like if you have someone that you believe is going to be a good player you take him and, and i understand that logic even if it's like maybe it's not a great fit because in the end it's not about next year for the thunder oh, and no, so no. so give yourself as many opportunities to figure out what the right fit is the thing with me and and jabari smith is i don't know if he ends up being this but there are times that i've watched him play and i go man that smells like kevin durant you know what I mean? Like, pretty shot. I mean, I know his shot's prettier than Durant's, but Durant's shot's maybe more unblockable because of that high release point is and he, whatnot. Is he big enough to play the five in a small ball lineup in a playoff series? Well, hell, I mean, you know, Golden State's five is six five yeah. half the time. And, and you know what I mean? Like, and in the end, like, when we start looking at these, you know, these teams in playoffs, like, 
okay, does someone really want to trade for Gobert? Like, it's the same problem with Gobert that that every big is. Like, he's a great player. And in the regular season, like, he's dynamite. But Steven Adams with, with Memphis, he was a, a critical part of the regular season, and then he just couldn't play in the playoffs. Uh, they also gave up on him. And that, that was, if I had one criticism of the Grizzlies during the playoffs, they panicked on that because Towns, A, Jaron kept getting in foul trouble, and, and Towns was... They were for they. I don't think their approach was right. They were playing him too far from the basket, and, and it led. But they also panicked. They got to the point where they literally thought Xavier Tillman was the right answer, and it's like, oh my god, people. But with 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 Smith, we know he can play on the wing, or at least I think he can develop into a wing player. We've oh, seen oh, we've seen enough of it for sure. I, his, he's got guard skills. His floor is a tall Paul George. And I, I think where you and I are going to disagree the most is on Holmgren. I think and so. with Holmgren, I do think high floor because in the end, he's going to have, he's always going to be a rim protector and he's going to have value on the defensive end. My problem with Holmgren is every time this year Gonzaga got up against an athletic team, it was bad news bears. It was you know, when they'd started spacing him out and he played in this Iverson classic and here and he got rave reviews because he shut down Paolo. Everyone's talking about his defense and I'm sitting there going, uh, are we sure about Paolo? Because maybe Paolo is soft. He could be. Um, I, I don't want the Thunder at two to end up with anyone not named Chet or Jabari. Um and I think that's the, I guess that's kind of the other problem that I have, though. It's like, for what we just talked about with Adams, with Gobert, late stage Mark Gasol, like, what is the value of an NBA center? But Chet's got handle, though. I mean, he, look, his worst case offensively, because I think he's going to I also be- need to know, I also would need to know in the draft process, obviously this would be for public consumption, how open are you to the idea of steroids? <laughs> I mean, I. From all, all indications, for both he and Jabari, work ethic is simply not an, not an issue. They both, they'll both do whatever it takes. Um, Chet's, Chet's floor, Holmgren's floor as a as an offensive player is a floor spacer who can make threes from the the perimeter. He's got a great shot. The the, the his his ceiling is because he's not a great passer. His ceiling is a guy who can be, you can make that shot, who can also, uh, you know, he's so tall, so big with the, you know, two dribbles, great handle both ways, that he can he can be a real force offensively. His value is as the, the anchor on your defense. He's he's an elite rim protector, and 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 he's he's so active and 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 stuff defensively. But see, I think the the Jabari comp is Kawhi. It's it's uh, Paul George. It's it's offensively. I don't know that it'll ever be Kevin Durant because I don't think he can create like Durant can. Oh, and I mean Durant is like that's what I've said. Like it's not it's not Durant. Nor do I even think like that ceiling. But it's just like there are moments where you you just sit there and you look at him and like how he shoots over people and whatnot. It's like God that to be his size and to feel like he's a guard. Like I don't know. Like there's just. You can kind of, you know what I mean? You got to squint yeah. a little bit, but I was like, yeah, man, that reminds me of that. 
What's interesting is like if Sacramento does something stupid and Ivy falls to Detroit, I mean, my God, Detroit goes, wait a minute, we have Cade Cunningham and uh, Ivy? Well, and also that could, you know, that could impact one of the landing spots for Tyus Jones and a, and a potential sign and trade is Detroit. And if I'm Detroit, I'm not, I'm not, I'm wanting Ivy to play. Like, oh, I, I'm a believer of go oh, get your yeah, reps, yeah. man. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you want him to play. Get your lumps, get your reps. We're going to figure this out because I, 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 it's an easy comp to make because of all the ties and they wear their hair the same way and stuff. The whole, he's the next John ja Morant. He's probably not John ja Morant, but he's going to be an elite offensive player in the NBA. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so for those that don't know, his mom, Neil Ivy is now the head women's head women's coach at Notre Dame. She was on the Grizzlies staff and basically like worked with John, worked John, like you know, because Jaden and John Jaron they're all kind of like roughly the same age. So, yeah, uh, but she was very close with both of them. But I mean, he's he's super athletic and he can score. I, I don't know, like to me, there's also in the back of my mind like. Hollinger can get a little too nerdy for me at times, John Hollinger. It's kind of damning when you look at front court players taken in the top 10 versus guards taken in the top 10 or wings taken in the top 10. It's like, you know, maybe if if you got two guys rated similarly, like I am with you. I do think there's a clear gap between Jabari and and then the rest. I almost think you're better off taking – if you think – if you have any – any faith in any of these, you know, any of these perimeter players, I think you might be better off taking them after those two. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some wings that I really like. I mean, I, I, I had hoped for a long time that Dyson Daniels would fall to 12. He's not going to fall to 12. I had hoped for a long time that Benedict Matherin would fall to 12. He's not going to fall to 12. I like Jeremy Sohan. Um, and then there's the wild card is Shaden Sharp. Like, who, yeah, and, who knows and I, who Shaden Sharp is? Well, here's what we do know. For all of the for all of the discussion about you know wanting to play this year, that man beat John Calipari at his own game. Oh, he did. That man, that man got himself a what was it? Was it Norman Hand? Was it Norman Hand that said uh, his time in Oxford was the best six month vacation he ever had? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's I'm pretty sure that's that's the one. Like Shaden Sharp had a well paid vacation in Lexington. Didn't get hurt, whatnot. I don't know. I mean, he's the guy that has the lowest floor and the highest ceiling, and that you know that speaks to me. I, I know. You, you know that speaks to me. I know. So it's what's it's like in- the same thing with Jonathan Kaminga. Why did I love Kaminga last year? A, he had red flags. B, <laughs> it was you know high floor, you know low floor, high ceiling. It's like I'd rather take my shot on that. Like. The odds of these the odds of these guys actually turning out to be something are not great to begin with, even at the top of the draft. So swing, swing so, hard. I, I, that's why. I mean, there's this talk about. I know we're talking about the Thunder for a minute. Got to forgive me. That's who I'm focused on in the draft. There's this talk about him falling to twelve, and I'm like, oh, for the love of God, if he does fall to twelve, just just send the card up, because when people do like, what's his ceiling? And someone goes, well, I mean. The ceiling's kind of Kobe. And you're like, wait, wait, what? And they're like, but understand now, his floor is total disaster. His floor hey, is... You, you said Kobe, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. Yeah, but but I'm like, wait, so there's... In a, in a world, there's a world where he's Kobe. And 
you're like, well, yeah, maybe. Okay, I'm in. Because oh. some, of, some, of, some of those other guys, like, what's his ceiling? Well, ceiling is, is a very productive player. Yeah, what's, I mean. What's, what's his floor? Well, his floor is that he's just a role player. Okay, so take me back to the other one. His floor is an absolute disaster. Yeah. What's his ceiling? Oh, his ceiling is all league. Sign me okay. up. Okay, so, so you're a young team and you're not trying to win. Like, this is why, like, my, in my ideal world for the Thunder, and I know nobody cares. If you're still listening at this point, you, you, you're, you're in. In my ideal world for the Thunder, frankly, it's Chet and Shaden Sharp. Two reasons. One, both guys have huge upsides, but both guys are going to be awful rookies. Yeah, no, so that, helps the cost, that, that helps the cause next year. And so you lose organically next year, and you have all these different picks next year, and maybe, uh, you, uh, Neil, maybe Neil. you win the lottery. Neil, we're building chemistry. Well, last year the Thunder tanked. I think this right. year I think this year coming up they have to be careful because if uh, you, you tank again, you again, start really messing with your with – your, We're building chemistry. Right. I mean, we, I don't think tell, you, we don't tell the story. We tell our story. I think you have to be careful, though, in all seriousness, with 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 young players. You, I think you can do it for a. No, I, I think I definitely think you don't want to build a losing. You don't want to build a culture in which winning isn't valued. Where winning is discouraged. Correct. Where, where losing is is that's you got to be careful there. And this year, you know, the Thunder did what they had to do. They they, they knew there were three players at the top of the draft, maybe floor four, and they had to go get one of those guys. And it worked out. But, you know, next season, I think if you're going to lose, it's got to be a little more organic. It, it can't be, hey, we have five guys, none of whom are NBA players, and they're going to play 48 minutes against the Lakers on the final night of the season. I, I don't think you can do that next season without it beginning to impact what happens inside your building. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that they draft a couple of guys with tremendous upsides who are going to play a ton and be awful as rookies. And young players, young teams lose games. And then maybe you... You 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 know next year's draft is is loaded. Of course, everybody talks about Win Benyama, but there's more to that draft than just Win Benyama. And if you, you know, maybe you maybe you win the lottery balls again and you get your guy, and then the rebuild's over. Yeah, I mean, there's also like let's be let's be completely clear. For as amazing of a job as the Grizzlies front office has done, the most significant part of their tenure is they got lucky. They went from seven in the draft to two. two. Yeah. And they also got lucky that they wound up with two because no matter what spin zone anyone gives, they would have done the same thing that every team would have done if they went number one. They would have taken Brian Williamson. Absolutely. Of course. Well, the Thunder have admitted years years ago they would have they would have taken Odin. I mean, that's that you know what I mean? It's like there's there is luck involved. And so lots of it. You know, and at a certain point, like it's your job to not waste luck. I mean, like we talked about with Orlando, this is what the third time in a decade they're picking one. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, like you know, like you, you, they've never they've never done anything with it. Like so, it's your job as a front office when you get some good luck, build around it. It's why it's interesting to kind of watch some of these players not want to end up in Orlando. You got some guys that are like don't really want to end up in Houston because it just hasn't worked out, you know, and. You, you see guys kind of maneuvering to maybe get to San Antonio, maybe to get to some of these places that are more stable environments for, for, for young NBA players. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. There, there's also this interesting dynamic for me with 
it's not even just the NBA. Like, and honestly, I don't even think it's professional sports. I think you can talk about it with college. I think we're also now seeing it in the world of golf. Are we ever going to have anyone that has any say in this matter that goes, you know, the last person that we're thinking about here is the fans. And in the end, we don't have a sport without them. No question. And I understand, you know, I hope that doesn't make me sound too much like Wolken, but I don't think it would because Wolken would still talk about, uh, you know, how player empowerment's amazing. But, like, I also understand so much of sports has changed quickly, not even just college. But in the end, what it really has boiled down to is there's never been a point in time in which the most valuable media property is live sports and and people are willing to pay a ton of money for it because they know they have to have it. And so because of that, it's it's created this free-for-all. But at the same time, like, you know, the one thing that I'll give, you know, the the European soccer fans, and I, I understand it's probably not possible here, but the fact that they were able to say, you know, we're forming this Super League, and they go, the hell you are. And, and you know, they were able to stop it. Like, you know, in the end, I actually think most of the golf fans that are complaining about the Live Golf Tour, you know, I'm sure there are lots of people that are uncomfortable with Saudi, you know, the Saudi involvement, and it it's obviously a huge part of it. But you can't look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm being 100% honest, that's what I care about, when literally the president was meeting with, Mohammed bin Sali, like, you know what I mean? Like in the end, they're on paper. They are a government ally. Like, and you know, we're about to go make them even richer because we're going to start buying more oil from them. Like, so it's not necessarily that it's the fact that you understand the way that this is going. You're just going to wind up with two mediocre weekly products. And then, you know, the majors are going to be big deals, but it's like, it's going to suck for golf fans. Like that's why in the end, that's what people are upset about. Like, when we talk about what's the future of, of, of college sports, it's I don't know of anyone that I that I discuss it with that sits there and goes, you know, the kids really don't deserve anything. The players, they, they don't deserve anything. I do think that it's entirely possible to sit there and go, well, maybe the flight simulator and the lazy river are not necessary. I will say this, being an NFL fan, I don't recall many NFL facilities with the 747 flight simulator and a lazy river and, you know, the locker rooms that fold into, you know, that essentially become airline beds and whatnot. It's like, okay, those are cool toys. Like, but but, like the NFL doesn't have that. And so I just feel like at no point, like the last thing it feels like, and it's not even the last thing it's never even considered. Like, I do wonder if you are never taking into the consideration of what the fans think or want. You know, I, I don't think it's going to come to an end tomorrow. Like, I don't think it's going to be boxing, if you will, or whatnot, like becomes like, you know, sure. a niche sport or whatnot. But uh, one thing I think we've learned the last couple of years. People off enough, we'll go find something else to do. 
Oh, there's no question about it. It's one of the it's one of the things I'm really interested to see over the course of the next couple of seasons with college football is like, you know, this is a transfer market, makes the sport more transient, obviously, and you don't know as many of the players and at the college level you're having to pull out a program at all times to go, No, wait, who's that? Who's that? And well like he's there? Like Yeah, just yeah. Like, it's, but, but I mean like in the same thing, like what we're talking about with the NBA, like you know, maybe this is it's because it's been so long so we've had, but the playoffs kind of sucked this year. And and me being like I'm an NBA guy. But I mean, how many times did you flip on an NBA playoff game? kind of excited like yeah like you know boston milwaukee boston miami like or you know uh dallas and you know dallas and golden state or and the games just kind of suck yeah i wanted dallas golden state to be fun and it wasn't and, and like i don't know like i just wonder like in the end is that uh, and i understand there's you know a lot of this can probably still be traced back to we still haven't recovered from playing the bubble you know what I mean? Like it's just thrown. It's everything was so compressed for so long. But man, I, I think when you're when you're when your product is a competition, it needs to be good competition. It does. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah, for sure. Hey, bud. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. You gave me more. All right, my wife's yelling at me because dinner's ready. Talk to you soon. All right. That was Jeffrey Wright. Appreciate his time on the show. As always, kind enough to give me a little bit more than an hour of his time. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed uh, Chase's interview with Keith Carter as well. We'll put this up as the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. We appreciate all of you who listen to us, who watch us, who make us a part of your week. Um, Chase on his way to Omaha on Friday. He'll get there on uh, Saturday. He'll be there in time for Ole Miss and Auburn, 6 p.m. on Saturday evening. That's the scheduled time for that game. You can see it on ESPN2. Uh, he will have coverage at rebelgrove.com. I will have a post-game show for you guys um, as soon as the game's over, whether Ole Miss wins or loses. Let's just all cheer for a nine-inning game, cheer for an Ole Miss win, nine innings. We'll come here all happy, and we'll talk for a couple hours. But we will hit the uh, hit the button as soon as the game's over. Um, I'll take your calls. We'll talk. Uh, Chase will join when he gets uh, to a free spot uh, after the post game press conference and that type thing. And uh, then we'll um, visit with him for a while. And then if you guys want, we'll take more calls. If you don't, we'll wrap it up and and uh, call it a weekend. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there uh, as well. To the dads in your life. That's on Sunday, and uh, we'll be back. I guess we'll kind of update you over the course of the weekend as to what our schedule is for Monday. Some of it will probably depend on uh, whether Ole Miss wins or loses, I'm guessing, on Saturday. If they win, they won't play again until Monday nights. So we'll have a Monday morning podcast. If they lose, they're playing midday on Monday, so we might wait and do the post game on Monday instead. But we haven't really talked about that. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that over the course of the weekend. So until Saturday. You guys take care. Again, thanks for making us a part of uh, of your week. We've had big numbers this week. I know a lot of that is uh, – all of that is Ole Miss baseball and you guys being excited, but we appreciate you making us a part of a part of that excitement. We've, uh, we've enjoyed the numbers this week. It's been great. We usually don't uh, always have these numbers in June, so it's cool to have them. We certainly appreciate it, and we will talk to you on Saturday.